Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert and joining me today is Sarah Dowdy. How are you, Sarah? I'm good, Katie. Good. We keep getting emails requesting more about Canadian history, and I have something close to Canadian history yeah. today. <laughs> Spooky Arctic mystery. So we're going to go ahead and say that counts. We're talking about Sir John Franklin's lost expedition. John Franklin was one of 12 kids, and his parents wanted him to become a clergyman, but he loved the sea, and he was absolutely sure that was his destiny from a young age. So he entered the Royal Navy at 14, where he had a varied career. He took part in expeditions to Australia. He fought in the Battle of Trafalgar, and he commanded the Trent on an 1818 Arctic expedition. In an attempt to reach the North Pole, and from 1818 to 1822, he conducted an overland expedition from Hudson Bay to the Arctic, I think, and surveyed part of the coast, parts that people had never seen before, a large mm. swath of the coast, and published a book about it, The Narrative of a Journey to the Shores of the Polar Sea. And did another narrative a few years later after a second overland expedition in the same region. And during this time, it was post-Napoleonic Wars. The British Navy really needed something to do, basically. And they needed so, a purpose. Yeah, and so uh, <laughs> largely thanks to Sir John Barrow, they decided their purpose was going to be to navigate the Northwest Passage. And the Northwest Passage had been an idea floated around since Elizabethan times even. Right. But it was essentially that there was a way to take a ship from the Atlantic to the Pacific going above Canada. And they knew it was there somewhere. They just didn't know where. Somewhere in all that ice between all those islands, they knew there was a way. But it took a very long time to find it and even longer to actually navigate it. So in 1845, they decide they're going to launch another expedition. And Franklin is not their first choice no. because he's older. He's 59, and they think that might be too old for someone who's going to be in such strenuous conditions. Yeah, it, it's basically seemed like his naval career was over. He's been the governor of Tasmania for several years. He's been knighted. It doesn't seem like he's the man to choose for your Arctic expedition. But he's convinced that he's the right one. And I think someone said something to him about being 60, and he said, no, no, I'm 59. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's make that clear. So it's a go, and Franklin is their choice. And the ships they were going to take were state-of-the-art at the time. They had iron-reinforced hulls and steam engines. They were very well equipped. Yeah, they have three years worth of canned food on board, which partly (laughs) ends up being a problem, but we'll get to that. Uh, So they dock in Greenland in July of 1845, and they send home a few men and a batch of letters. Uh, If you were one of the men to be sent home there, you were very lucky because things didn't go well from there on out. The last sighting of them is by British whalers north of Baffin Island at the entrance to Lancaster Sound in July of 1845, and then they disappear and go completely off the map. So what happened? 
search parties were sent in 1847 to answer that exact question because two years was too long. They should have heard something by now. Yeah. And, and the searches keep going. Yeah. It, by 1850, as many as 14 ships were in the area at the same time looking for them. This turned out to be kind of the romantic adventure of the age, searching for Franklin and his lost crew. And consequently, a lot of information about the Northwest Passage was discovered during these rescue attempts. But we're going to kind of give the overview of what happened to Franklin and his men during this time. This was all pieced together over years and years. but And something like 30 expeditions to yeah. go and find them. They each came back with little pieces. Yeah. So... By uh, in 1845 to six, they winter at Beachy Island, and three crewmen die there. And they'd started with what 129 people. Yeah, okay. 28 or so. So the numbers are are dwindling slowly. Yeah. In 1846, these ships, which are named Erebus and Terror, not a good name no. for ships, <laughs> leave Beachy Great Island nice. and they sail down Peel Sound to King William Island. And then by September of 1846, the ships get trapped in the ice off of King William Island in Victoria Strait. Um, and so they winter there. And there's a note that was found later uh, from May 28th, 1847, saying that things were okay. You know, it was, they were stuck in the ice still, but it was going all right. But on June 11th, 1847, as close as we can tell, Franklin died. And he is the head of everything, of the whole expedition. And he's one of very few men in the crew who actually has Arctic experience. And things get bad then because that's when the ice from the winter should have thawed and they should have been able to move on. And it doesn't. So they winter again on King William Island. Obviously, there are questions of food that are going to come up soon, so they have to start making difficult decisions in the next year about what they're going to do. And they abandon their ships on April 22nd, 1848, and decide to try to make a go of it. And in a note that was later found, um, by April 25th, 1848, 24 men had died, and the survivors were marching south to the Black River. And Things got very messy there. Uh, they resorted to cannibalism, and a lot of them were addled by what later looked like lead poisoning. Um, and some people say the lead poisoning was a result of poorly tinned foods. Right. The foods were apparently supplied by kind of a cut-rate dealer, and lead was supposed to have actually dripped into the cans from the soldering uh, but uh, an author of Ice Blink, Scott Cookman, actually has a different theory. And he thinks that botulism in the cans caused all of the mental and physical issues that happened and was responsible for why these men died on the ice, not on the ship, on the ice when they were away from reliable cooking sources because proper heating will that kills. kills the clostridium spores. Yeah. But if they don't have a stove to if heat it. If you're out on the ice and maybe you have a dinky little stove or not a stove at all. And so he he kind of thought that explained why they all die out there and not on the ships. And there were there was also evidence of scurvy, which is what happens when you don't get enough vitamin C. And scurvy and lead poisoning lead to the same kinds of, of weakness that 
make you unable to do the hard work that's necessary to do to in walk the Arctic. The ice. And they weren't they weren't adopting um, Inuit ways of dealing with the weather, and they were carrying lots of unnecessary supplies <laughs> with them. So it was not, they weren't equipped for an overland expedition. No, at all. the list of their supplies, I wish I had it on me, is just so strange. It wasn't at all survival no. stuff. It was things like books. Silver. <laughs> yes, you don't need silver if you're trapped in the Arctic. Yeah. For future reference, for all our listeners, don't bring the silver. <laughs> The first search for Franklin goes out in 1847. The first official search isn't until 1848. And over the years, a lot of the expeditions get very close to where Franklin's ships were actually abandoned. But there's a lot of delay. And one of the reasons is when ships were over there looking at Peel Sound, where the the boats went, it seemed impossible that they could have gone in that direction because the ice cover was so heavy. Right, so they just skipped over it. And of course, there was a huge cold snap going on in the Arctic at this time, too. So these weren't normal conditions for that area. The early searches turned up some accounts from Inuit who had seen the explorers and had stories about starving men. There was even one account that was taken much, much later from an Inuit in 1929 saying that uh, some of the boats were remanned and uh, they knew of large vessels that lay on the other side of the island, basically far away from where they're supposed to have been. And they also said that because the winter was so cold, they too were having a really hard time finding food and hunting. So if the crew was depending on the locals for food, they didn't have any to give. Well, and it's likely that the crew wouldn't ask for help, too. They they were self-sufficient British men. (laughs) Yeah, Royal Navy men, exactly. In the process of the search, the Northwest Passage is actually completed, although it's by several ships and <laughs> sled. It's not completed by the one guy, <laughs> one ship until the 20th century, I believe. Um, but in 1859, there is a very important search mission sent out. The Royal Navy was effectively done with this after getting They've been looking for years. Yeah, and then they they felt like they had gotten about gotten back enough information about the men, but Franklin's widow wasn't satisfied. Jane Lady Franklin was the first woman to receive the Founders Medal of the Royal Geographical Society because of everything she'd done to organize these expeditions. She was determined that they would at least find some concrete proof that the men were dead. So she hires Captain Francis Leopold McClintock, who had actually been on several earlier search missions, um, and during some of those had really developed the art of sledging across the land and learned a lot of the Inuit customs and helped prepare future Arctic explorers for conditions. And he was very effective because he used all of these other resources. And his crew found skeletons of the Franklin expedition, I think only four of them. Yeah, but uh, most importantly, he finds that note, um, which has the first mes- message saying that everything is okay, and then the later message, abandoning ship, okay. <laughs> lots of people dying, we're walking, um, finds it in a pile of stones on the icy island. It's very creepy. 
It is. And we'll never know entirely what happened. These are just, again, what historians and scientists are able to piece together from the evidence that they had. So there are things we're sure of, like there was too much lead in the bodies. There was evidence of scurvy. There was definitely cannibalism from what they can tell from the bones. But some of it we'll never quite know. Yeah. And a very strange thing to think of today is um, icebreaker luxury cruises go right up by the island where they all died now. Um, It's strange to think how accessible all that is. And actually, the Northwest Passage is open. Uh, It first opened in 2007. Enough ice had melted that it was considered fully navigable. And it happened again in 2008, along with the Northeast Passage, which made the North Pole circumnavigable for the first time in 125,000 years. That is insane. See, that's why we need your green knowledge (laughs) on the podcast. And I'll end with a memorial by Tennyson, who was a kinsman through marriage to Franklin. And he said, Not here, the white north has thy bones, and though heroic sailor soul art passing on thine happier voyage now toward no earthly pole. And you had mentioned a rather ironic fact that happened from that memorial poem. Yeah, another ill-fated polar explorer, uh, the American Adolphus Greeley, became fascinated by the Arctic by a visit to London where he read those words. So that's what happens when you romanticize (laughs) (laughs) So if you'd like to learn more about survival, we've got all kinds of survival articles on the website. And check out the Stuff You Missed in History blog at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 